as well. Uh, I love, probably like many of you, a well-told story. Uh, last couple nights I've spent watching the musical here in town. That was a well-told story there. So for those of you involved in that, good work. I like books especially that tell uh, good stories. I like books that take you to another world that you've never been to. I've read the Chronicles of Narnia with each of our kids one-on-one. Now with our youngest, I'm on the fifth book, which is called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And as the book begins, Lucy and Edmund are visiting their cousin, whose name was Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it, is the way C.S. Lewis says it. And Edmund and Lucy are in a bedroom looking at a painting of a ship on the sea, and Eustace is coming in at partway through the scene. But as they look at this picture, this painting on the wall, the scene looks more and more real until they suddenly find themselves in the scene. They're in the sea, and they're pulled on board a ship that is sailing east of Narnia. The ship is called the Dawn Treader, the Dawn Treader and there's passengers on board like the mouse named Reepicheep and the prince named Caspian. A lot of the book takes place on the sea and on this ship. And C.S. Lewis does a remarkable job of writing in such a way that you feel like you're on the sea, on the voyage, on the journey with those who are at sea. Now, I grew up in Minnesota, where there are more than 10,000 lakes, so I've done some time, you know, tubing uh, on a tube behind a boat. I enjoyed a couple of canoeing adventures, including one in the Boundary Waters with my dad, who's here today. But I've never been on a ship at sea. Today, we, though, will be taken out on the sea as we near the end of our time in the book of Acts. After today, by the way, we only have just two more sermons in the book of Acts, and then it will be Easter Sunday, and we'll move on to something else after that. But you're going to find, as we look today at Acts chapter 27, that Luke's description of this voyage at sea from Caesarea to Rome is very, very detailed. This makes sense, since Luke was not only a historian trying to get the facts right, Luke, in fact, was one of the people who was on this ship. He was on the voyage along with Paul, and so he's writing not just an account he's heard from somebody else, he's writing an account of what he himself experienced while on the ship from Caesarea across the Mediterranean Sea to Rome. Luke is very descriptive, and for some of you, like me, words are enough to help me get pictures in my mind, and I'm not very good at like drawing stuff out. But I know some of you, you like to draw stuff a little more. So uh, those of you that are kids of all ages, if I caught you when you came in today, I gave you a, a sheet of paper that looks like this. This one that I gave on there from Acts 27. And then I have the three scenes that we're going to see today. And what I'd like you to do, if you got one of these, as I like you, as I preach through this sermon, I'm going to give you some ideas of pictures you could draw on there. And then... At the end of the worship service, I would like you to hand me your paper, even though like, you did a lot of work on it and you're going to want to like, hold on to it yourself. I'd love it if you would hand it over to me, and then what I'm going to do before next Sunday is get all of these uh, posted up on the wall over there so that people that come next week that weren't here this week could be reminded of what happened 
in Acts chapter 27 by looking at your picture. So I just want to take advantage of the fact that Luke gives us a lot of detail that helps us feel like, oh, we're really there. So you're going to be able to draw, I think, some really neat pictures of what's happening here in Acts 27. It's a long story. We're going to look at the whole chapter today, verses 1 through 44. Uh, in a little bit, I'm going to have you stand, but you're just going to, I'm going to read verses 1 to 12, and then I'm going to read the rest of it later as the sermon goes while we're seated together. Here's, here's the big idea today. The big idea today is this. God shows his grace and saving power in long, dark, seemingly hopeless storms. And you see how that can apply not just to somebody on a ship in the Mediterranean in the first century, but that can apply to a bunch of people in landlocked Iowa, United States of America, in the 21st century as well. It is true that God shows his grace and saving power in long, dark, seemingly hopeless storms. So, if you're able to, would you stand and we will hear the word of the Lord read. Let's pray. We need help. Father, we do. We need help. I need help uh, if I'm going to, to, to preach this well. We need help if we're going to have minds ready to not only understand, but hearts ready to believe and bodies willing to obey. So, so thank you for the detail that your Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write in this account. And I pray that we would kind of be transported there, that we might feel what Paul and the others felt as they were on that voyage at sea, and that we might be reminded today as your Holy Spirit works in us of your saving grace and your saving power, even in the midst of long, dark, seemingly hopeless storms. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 1, we'll go through verse 12 right now. This is God's Word. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter 
there. You can be seated. So, three scenes as we walk through this. If you walked in uh, and don't have a, a sheet to draw on, you do have a sermon notes page there in the bulletin as well that you might use to take notes. But let me just remind us of the context really quick before we get into detail here. Remember that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, and then he was taken by military evacuation up to Caesarea because there was a plot on his life. People wanted to see Paul dead. So he's taken by military evacuation up to Caesarea, which is 60 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And there he was promised by Jesus that he would make it to Rome and be a witness to Jesus there in Rome. But then, even though the trial found him not guilty, he was kept a prisoner for two years in Caesarea. When a new governor came on the scene, it was in many ways the same story. There was another trial. Paul was accused of more things. Another plot against his life was there, but Paul this time appealed to Caesar, the emperor who lived in Rome, and he was granted a, a hearing before Caesar. So now, Paul, whom the Lord had promised would make it to Rome, is going to make it to Rome, not as a missionary traveling freely, but as a prisoner taken to Rome. Before that happens, he has one more chance to have a hearing there in Caesarea. It's before King Agrippa, which Pastor Nick skillfully took us through last week. So that's where we left off. And now it's time for the journey from Caesarea across the Mediterranean all the way to Rome in Italy. Luke gives lots of details here about the who and where in verses 1 to 12 that we just read. I'm not going to read all of that again, uh, but I want to point out a couple of things that I think we should notice. One, I already sort of mentioned that Luke is here. We've seen this before in the book of Acts as well. Acts is written by Luke, and occasionally Luke begins using the first person plural. He, he, instead of talking about Paul and other people, he's saying, we and you notice that right away here in Acts chapter 27, when it was decided that we should sail for Italy. Right? So, so Luke is joining them on the trip. Paul also lets us know there are other prisoners. Paul is a prisoner, and he's not the only prisoner. There's a number of prisoners being transported on this ship. Paul, prisoners, Luke, the doctor and historian, and also a longtime friend named Aristarchus. So... He tells us who's on the ship. Well, how did it go? Well, here's what we see at the beginning. It was pretty easy at first. Paul is well cared for, it tells us in verse 3. They have to go into the wind, and I tried to read. I don't know much about sailing, so I'm trying to read. Like, how do you sail into the wind? And there's a way they do it. I tried to understand it for a little bit, then I gave up. Like, all right, well, they figured it out. They're sailors. They know what they're doing. They knew how to sail into the wind. And they change ships in, in Mira, that's in verse 6, we read that. And they're on a new kind of ship now, probably a grain ship. And then stuff starts getting hard. Beginning in verses 7 and 8, all of a sudden, it says, we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty. And then later again in verse 8, it says, coasting along it with difficulty. So the trip that started out pretty easy is now getting 
a little bit harder, but they're experienced sailors that are leading this ship. Verse 9 tells us the time of year that this is happening. It says, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, that's referring to a time that we would call fall leading into winter. Okay, So that's the time of year that they're doing this. Now, Paul... He's got some advice. I'm going to tell you what to draw here in a moment, okay? But Paul's got some advice. Paul's been through a thing or two in his life. He's not a sailor, but he spent a lot of time on ships as a missionary. And up to this point in his life, we know of at least three shipwrecks that Paul has been involved in, okay? And when you've talked to somebody who's been involved in three shipwrecks, you can understand why they might be a little bit cautious. And so in verse 10, we read this. Verse 10 said, Sirs... I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Paul is the one saying, let's put on the, I mean, I know there's not brakes in a ship, but let's put on the brakes, right? I'm not sure we should keep going as winter approaches. But the centurion, Julius, listens to the pilot, not the prisoner, right? And they say, let's keep going. So, That's what they do. They keep going. So if you're drawing a picture, okay, if you're drawing a picture under scene one, here's what you might be drawing. It's windy, but it's not stormy yet. There's a big ship with lots of people on it, and most of the people are smiling because they're like, we got this. We know how to sail. But Paul, he's kind of frowning. Paul the prisoner is frowning because he's not sure they should be doing this. He's thinking, is this a good idea? Right? So that's the picture in scene one. It's windy, but not stormy. Most people are happy to be on this voyage. I mean, I don't know how the prisoners are feeling. But Paul, he's kind of upset. He doesn't think they should be doing this. Now as we get to scene two, it's about to take a turn for the worse. So you can be drawing that picture about scene one. And I'm going to start talking about scene two. You're going to have lots of time uh, to, to draw this one. Because we're going to look at verses 13 to 38, and here's what we're going to see. A long, dark, hopeless storm. So, starting in verse 13, we read this. (laughs) Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. Okay, So all the people that were like, hey, Paul, it's not going to be a big deal. We can do this? They're all thinking in verse 13, yeah, we got this. It's just a nice, gentle breeze. It's going to be just fine. And then it gets worse in verse 14. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. Okay, so on a big ship, there's a boat that they use if they need to, you know, weigh their anchors before the shore and take the little boat into shore, right? So, so that's, that's getting blown around, so they have to secure that. Where are we at? Verse 17. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship, then... Fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Now, I can't explain to you everything of what that looks like, 
but I can imagine these experienced sailors are being put to the test as they do all of these different things to try to make sure in the midst of the storm that their boat doesn't, that their ship doesn't capsize. They're going all over the place. You see it more than once there. They're, they're driven along, okay? They're not, they're not going exactly on the route they want to go. They're just kind of going wherever the wind blows them there in the middle of this storm. If we continue, we see how bad it gets. Verse 18, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Now, we've had storms here in Iowa that last a couple hours, maybe even up to a day. But they're going on multiple days now. And do you hear the way it's described? It's dark. There's no sun or stars. That's how they determine how they're going to go, where they go. There's no sun or stars. It's darkness throughout the storm. It's long. It's many days. And it's hopeless. They're starting to throw stuff overboard. And in verse 20, did you hear what they were saying? All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Okay? It's not, like, it's not like the attitude on the ship was, hey guys, let's stick together. We can do this. Their attitude is, we're all going to die. All hope of our being saved is abandoned. Nobody's going to come and rescue us in the middle of a storm, and there's no way we can survive a storm like this. All hope of our being saved was abandoned. You can see the map here uh, of kind of where they were. So they've gotten up to there earlier, and now, now they're, they're aiming at going from the island of Crete uh, towards Italy, uh, which is in the upper left-hand corner of that map. Now, Paul is going to speak up again. Remember, last time Paul spoke up, he was speaking up, giving a warning. Uh, is this a good idea, guys? Are you sure we should be doing this? Now, all of a sudden, Paul is going to change his tone. Before we get to that, if you're drawing a picture here in scene two, Here's the picture for the next section, the middle section of your paper. Scene two, here's the picture. Now, there is a raging storm, and it's dark. And all the guys who used to be smiling, now they're frowning because they think they're going to die. But here's what you can draw also in scene two. Paul? <laughs> now the guy, Paul, who was frowning before, he's the guy smiling. Why in the middle of a storm where everybody thinks they're going to die is Paul smiling? Well, let's read verses 21 to 26. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. 
For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So why is Paul smiling? He's not smiling because he was right. He's smiling because an angel of God came and talked to him and let him know that the promise that the Lord had made to him, that he will make it all the way to Rome, the Lord's going to keep that promise. Paul will make it all the way to Rome. And not only that, the reason Paul's smiling, I think, is because everybody else on the ship is going to make it too. The angel assures Paul, everybody here who thinks they're about to die in this storm is going to make it to Rome. All right, so maybe, maybe things are turning up. Maybe, maybe things are going to get better right away. Or maybe not. Let's keep reading. Verse 27. When the 14th night had come, Talk about a long storm. The 14th night, that's two weeks long, dark, hopeless storm. As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Right? Like, all right, we got to stop here, and the only thing we got left to do now is just pray for day to come that we might be able to see something. Verse 30, and as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. Now listen to this note in verse 27. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. So you've been drawing your ship and you didn't draw 276 people. That's fine. That's way too many to draw. But that's how many were on the ship. Verse 28. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Okay, so they, their cargo now just kind of being thrown out. They're confident all of a sudden that what Paul is saying, before they didn't listen to Paul, now they're listening to Paul. And so they ate some food, and they're getting ready to make it to land. They had done some soundings and know that they're getting close. So that's scene two. Now, scene three, we read about this in just verses 39 to 44. Here's what we're going to see. God's grace in the midst of the storm. Finally, daylight. Imagine how beautiful. Fourteen days of dark storm on the sea. You can't see any land. You think you're alone. You think you're going to die. Listen to what it says in verse 39. Now, when it was day... They did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach. 
on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. Imagine these exhausted, hungry men getting one final burst of energy because they can see now with their own eyes, there's a beach. There's a bay and a beach, and I can see it. We made it, men. Like we, They know they didn't make it to Rome. That's not Rome. They didn't recognize the land, but they knew they made it somewhere. Their lives had been spared. God has shown his grace and power in the midst of the storm. Verse 40. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. Like, yeah, one, I mean, they're high-fiving. Paul's getting some knuckles from the other guys. Like, you were right the whole time, and we made it, right? They're all excited. Verse 41, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. Their ship that had made it through the storm with probably a bit of damage was now being torn to pieces as it was stuck on a reef and the surf was just knocking the back of the boat off. They could see the land. You think that's bad, it gets worse. Verse 42. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. That would have been standard operating procedure in the Roman army. Like, hey, if there's a chance that these prisoners, of which Paul is one, are going to escape, let's just kill them right now. So all these guys, so excited, we saw the land, we're going to make it. Now their lives are being threatened. And again, we're going to see God's grace. Verse 43, but the centurion, imagine, just imagine the chaos on board. All these soldiers getting their swords ready. All the prisoners trembling, hungry, excited one moment, scared for their lives the next moment. And then God's grace as they're interrupted. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. Hey, if you're a swimmer, get out now and go. Just swim. We're not going to kill you. Go. And the rest, imagine this picture, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. 276 of them brought safely to land. Saved by God's power and grace through the midst of the storm. Saved. So if you're drawing a picture of scene three, the last bit on your paper there, that picture is going to be this. It's a shipwreck. A shipwreck, but on, on the horizon you can see the beach. You can see where they want to get, but the shipwrecks before they get there. And so you got a whole bunch of guys. Some of them know how to swim, so they're swimming into the beach. Other guys, they don't know how to swim, but thankfully the shipwrecked. So there's all sorts of pieces floating out in the water, and they can just jump on one of those and float into the beach. This is a fascinating detailed account, isn't it? Of God's grace and power to save people's physical lives in a literal storm at sea. So we could just read it and be like, that is a good, true story. We drew some pictures. It's good. But God wants us to not just hear and understand his word, 
but to make application to our own lives from his word as well. And so here's the truth. This is a hard one because most of us don't intend to find ourselves on a ship at sea in the midst of a long, dark, hopeless storm. I have no doubt that many of us, though, have been or are right now or will sometime be in the midst of a long, dark, hopeless, stormy season of life. Sometimes those kinds of things are unavoidable. That might be where you're at right now. You're just looking at your life like this is, this is a stormy season. Sometimes those things are unavoidable. You know, maybe it's like as a result of what happened in the economy, there's, there's something happening in your life that looks to be a storm. Maybe it's something that happened with your health, and it's a storm that just seemed unavoidable. Sometimes these long, dark, hopeless, stormy seasons are brought about by poor decisions on our part. That's the reality, isn't it? Paul had warned them, it doesn't seem like a good idea, guys. And later he did say, you know, guys, I kind of said it wasn't a good idea. Hindsight's twenty twenty, though. How many of us in our life can look back and say, okay, I can look back now and say that was not a very good idea. A decision about who to marry or not marry, what to buy or not buy, what job to take or to not take. I remind you of this though. Maybe, just maybe, you're about to see God's provision in the midst of your peril. Maybe, just maybe, you're about to see God show his strength in the midst of your storm. For the Apostle Paul, it's not like life was going along smoothly up until this point, right? I want us to turn for application to one spot. Uh, a couple books later. So in your Bible, you got Acts and then Romans, then 1 Corinthians. I want you to turn to the book after that, which is 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I need to make note of this, though. As you're turning there, Paul wrote this letter about five years before what we're reading about today. So by the time this shipwreck on the way to Rome happens, Paul had already written this letter. This was about five years earlier that he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. And I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29. Whoops, sorry, verse 23. I'm going to start partway through the verse where it says this. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. This is what Paul has experienced up until this point, five years before this point. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, now four, right? A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Paul's experienced some stormy seasons in his life, most of them coming since he started walking with Jesus, right? Walking with Jesus wasn't a get-out-of-suffering-free card. It was a welcome-to-suffering card for Paul. 
All of these things he experienced because of his faith in Jesus. And so, so did he become a bitter kind of man looking at God and saying, I prayed that you would rescue me from this and you didn't. I prayed. No, what does he do? Flip ahead a little bit. We're skipping some, but flip ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what Paul says. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That was true for Paul, and that is true for you and for me. God's grace, he says, is sufficient. You know what's not sufficient? You know what sufficient means? Like, it means enough. You know what's not enough? You know what's not sufficient? All of our hard work, all of our toil, all of our tears. We can do all sorts of things that don't end up fixing the situation that we find ourselves in. But you know what is sufficient? God's grace is sufficient. The long, dark, seemingly hopeless storm has proven one thing. It probably hasn't proven that you're strong and getting stronger. Storms often prove, contrarily, that we are weak and we are getting weaker. Anybody say amen to that, right? We're weak and getting weaker. The storm hasn't proven our strength, it's proven our weakness. And I love what Paul says here. How has Paul been able to persevere? It's not that Paul, well, man, Paul was sure a strong man to get through all of those lashings and beatings and imprisonment and all that stuff he went through. How did Paul get through it? He got through it because he was weak. But the power of Christ had rested upon him because God's grace was sufficient in the midst of the storm. And so we too can persevere through a tough marriage, through poverty, through heartache, through tension, or whatever storm it is that you're enduring right now. We might be like Paul, frowning in scene one, wondering, is this a good idea? But in the midst of the storm, we can be like Paul in scene two, with a smile on our face, because we know that God is going to get us to our destination. In this world, we might have all kinds of trouble and tribulation, but we know where we're headed, and we know for sure we're going to get there. His rescuing work might not come with a smooth landing on a sandy beach. It might come with a shipwreck on a reef within sight of the land. You might be floating in on a jagged piece of wood poking slivers into your empty belly. But you will get there if you are in Christ. His grace is sufficient and though we are weak, He is strong. So, I don't know where you're at. But wherever you're at, I know this, that you could find others in this room who could share their testimony of how when they were at their lowest, God met them and gave them new life in Christ. I love what Charles Spurgeon once said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of Christ. That's what we need. More than anything else, what we need is we need Christ, the rock of 
of ages. We don't need life to get any easier, though we might want that. In fact, what we need most is a Lord and Savior. Let me tell you this. Unless you have been born again through faith in Jesus, you are on a ship filled with people headed to hell and eternal punishment, away from the one, the only one, who can bring you everlasting life and joy. Can I just say that again? Because it's pretty blunt and it's pretty important. Unless you have been born again through faith in Jesus, you are on a ship filled with people, and it seems like a party cruise ship, but it is headed to hell and eternal punishment, away from the only one who can bring you everlasting life and joy. That's the bad news. And the good news is this. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, lived perfectly, suffered unjustly, died willingly, and rose victoriously so that all who trust in him will be with him forever. That's the good news. Do you live with that hope? Like, can you honestly say, I, I live and I will die with that hope? Not the, not the hope like, well, I hope I've done good enough. If that's your hope, you haven't. You need to know that. Like, that's, that's not enough. Many of us in here live and will die with that hope. And we come together week after week after week because we need to be reminded of it all the time. And so I'm going to invite Andrea and Nick to come up. And they're going to sing a song that will remind us of that. And for those of us who are in Christ, this would be a good time for us to pray and thank God for that for His grace that has been sufficient in the midst of storms, for His power that has been mighty to save a people like us. And so we can give thanks. We can maybe bow our heads and just pray for others. They're going to be singing. The words are going to be on the screen so you see them. We're just going to be listening. We're not going to be singing along. So, so use this time to pray. Use this time to reflect. But here, here's the deal. If you're here today, I just want to be very direct. If you're here today and you're not living with the sure hope of eternal life through faith in Jesus, maybe today is the day that God saves you. If you're wrestling with that and want to pray with somebody, then I'm going to sit not with my family in the second row, I'm going to sit in the front row, and there's going to be a couple spots by me. You come and sit and we'll pray while they're singing. For the rest of us, let's rejoice in the reality that Christ really is our only hope in life and in death.